0: Chapter Seventeen of the Log of a Sea Wafe by Frank T. Bullen. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Seventeen on the Coromandel Coast. Freed from that horrible incubus, I had now leisure to look about and enjoy the varied scenes that presented themselves the place we were lying at was i suppose a typical native coast village a big hill facing the anchorage having a rock-hewn temple upon its seafront. there was no harbor or shelter of any kind so that vessels lay all ready for sea in case of bad weather setting in all cargo was brought off in the crazy mazula boats which have been so often described by visitors to madras and are the only craft able to stand the rough usage of the surf beaten beach the fishermen went out on primitive contrivances of three logs lashed together without any attempt at hollowing out or fashioning bow and stern kneeling upon the two outer logs in the centre of the crazy thing the poor wretch would paddle seaward until out of sight his sole equipment a palm-leaf basket secured just in front of him and containing his fishing tackle neither food nor water could be carried yet in this miserable condition they would remain out for many hours at the mercy of every wave that came along and often being rolled over several times in succession the catches of fish they made were always pitifully small it seemed to me sometimes consisting of only a couple of dozen large prawns though how they caught them out there was a mystery to me our cargo was an assorted one jaggery or palm sugar looking like bags of black mud and almost as nice to handle buffalo horns and hides cases of castor oil bags of myobolums a kind of dye-nut and sundry other queer things came off to us in small quantities at a time and were flung on board in a most haphazard fashion owing to the constant swell which made the boats tumble about alongside vivaciously all the stowage was done by the crew under the direction of jemmy the scrubber who proved himself as capable a stevedore as he was a seaman no one went ashore except the skipper while we lay there and he would gladly have avoided the necessity if possible since it usually meant a thorough drenching on the whole we were by no means sorry when the news came that we were to leave and proceed down the coast to coconada as we were always ready to sail there were none of the usual preliminaries we just hauled in the fenders hove the anchor up and started here our skipper's local knowledge was of great service for we hugged the coast closely all the way down keeping a favourable wind which brought us into coconada bay in a few hours while the andromeda a big liverpool ship that sailed at the same time for the same port stood off the land got into bad weather and did not arrive for twenty-eight days she had also sustained severe damage to both ship and cargo while Coconada was evidently a much more important place than Bimliapatam, we saw nothing of the town, for we lay a long way off in the centre of a huge bay. We were near enough, though, to hear the various cries of the wild beasts, among which the hideous noise of the hyenas was especially noticeable. Our unhappy painter, who had remained in Bombay Hospital during the whole of our stay there, was again so ill that he had to be landed here but getting convalescent he and the fellow patient went for a stroll one day and wandering out of the town they met a hyena barber was so scared that he fainted right away but the other man found sufficient vitality to scramble up a tree he had not got very high though before weakness overcame him and he fell breaking his leg when barber came to, there was no trace of the hyena but he and his fellow were in a pitiable plight there they would doubtless have stopped and had their bones picked clean by the morning but for a party of friendly coolies who came along and seeing their condition fetched a couple of palquis and carried them back to hospital again here then we remained for three weeks filling the hold with a miscellaneous collection of indian produce of which cotton linseed and myrabolums formed the staple until the great capacity of our ship for cargo was effectually satisfied and she was jammed full to the hatch combings then all hands released from their stifling labors below bent their energies to getting ready for sea meanwhile although our crew were certainly a most patient set of men their discontent at the short-handedness which ever since leaving home had pressed so hardly upon us all gathered to a head culminating in a visit of all hands to the quarter-deck with a request to see the skipper genial as ever captain smith appeared his ruddy face wearing an expression of benign wonderment at the unusual summons well what is it men said he then stepped forward an elderly yankee who had been a bosun's mate in the american navy a shrewd intelligent man with a rich fund of native humour and a prime favourite for an aft we've taken a liberty sir, of coming aft to ask if your attention's to sail thou shippin any more hands was his reply well in the first place nat answered the skipper there's no hands to be got here and besides in such a easy-workin ship as this is there's no hardship in bein a couple of hands short the good lord forgive ye sir exclaimed nat if this year's a easy-workin ship what mutt ye reckon a hard-workin one ought to be why captain it takes two men to haul through the slack o the braces and it's all a man's worth to overhaul the gear o the tops'l. besides sir you know it takes all hands to shorten her down to the topsails and what we can do with her in a squall well i hain't forgot that pleasant evenin off the cape of you have at this vigorous reply the old man could only laugh to show his appreciation of the home thrusts it contained but with native shrewdness he changed his face still preserving his cheery good temper mind ye i don't say we ain't short-handed he said very short-handed but we're getting out of the bay of bengal for the southeast monsoon sets in and you knows well's well as me that it's fine weather most all the way ter cape once we cross the line and uh, if we get any dirt off in the cape we'll keep her under the easy sail and let the gula's current sweep her round and then we'll just be home in no time you leave it to me we ain't been eight months together without knowing each other and you all know you can depend on me to do the best i can to make you comfortable but i can't get any hands in this godforsaken place if we only had two left forward that speech settled it if captain smith had been an irritable man inclined to put on airs of outraged dignity because his crew asked him a perfectly reasonable question and to rate them like a set of fractious children there would have been an instant refusal of duty on the part of the men followed by much suffering and loss on both sides for the chaps were thoroughly in earnest but the skipper's frank good humour and acceptance of the situation disarmed them and they returned forward with minds made up to see the voyage out as best they could next day we weighed anchor and sailed for london the windlass revolving to the time-honoured tune of good-bye fare you well hurrah my boys we're homeward bound just prior to our departure we received on board some two or three hundred fowls and two goats which added to about twenty pigs mostly bred on board two large dogs two monkeys sundry parrots and two cats made the ship bear no bad resemblance to noah's ark none of these animals had any settled abiding-place they just roamed about the decks whithersoever they would except on the sacred precincts of the poop which were faithfully guarded by one of the dogs who allowed no intrusion by any of the grunting clucking or chattering crowd but this state of things was a great trial to all concerned for one of the cardinal necessities of british or american ships is cleanliness which is secured by copious floods of salt water and vigorous scrubbing every morning under present conditions keeping the vessel clean was manifestly impossible the crowd of animals even invading the men's quarters as well as every nook into which they could possibly squeeze themselves there was a great deal of dissatisfaction forward at this state of things and fowls were continually flying overboard being chased and smitten by angry men who found everything under their hands befouled and stinking still the nuisance was unabated until we were ten days out just off cape Comorin, we got our first stiff breeze of the homeward passage and very soon in accordance with her invariable custom the old ship began to take sufficient water over the rail to flood the decks fore and aft then there was a commotion in the farmyard the watch up to their waists in water splashed about collecting the squawking chickens and driving the bewildered swine into a temporary shelter rigged up under the topgallant forecastle next morning at least four dozen dead fowls were flung overboard in addition to many that had fled blindly into the sea on the previous day this loss so disgusted the skipper that he ordered all hands to be fed on poultry until the stock was exhausted at first this benevolent command gave a good deal of delight but when the miserable leathery carcasses boiled in salt water uncleaned and unsavoury were brought into the forecastle there was almost a riot a deputation waited upon the captain to protest and demand their proper rations of salt horse they were received by the skipper with a very ill grace and the usual senseless remarks about sailors fastidiousness in the matter of food were freely indulged in by the old man who seemed quite out of temper we got no more coramondo poultry though which was a blessing albeit they were served up to the cabin as usual being prepared in a civilized fashion i suppose the officers found them eatable but in various ways the flock of fowls diminished rapidly much to our relief and gradually the decks began to assume their normal cleanliness the pigs numerous as they were could be kept within bounds forward in fact, the dogs rarely permitted them to come abaft the foremast, as for the two goats they grew so mischievous, gnawing the ends of all the ropes, and nibbling at everything except iron, that orders for their execution went forth, and since no one would eat them, their bodies were flung overboard. End of chapter 17